Welcome to the second season of our Triune Pod. We are still preparing you to praise. Join me, the Reverend Nick Comiskey, and the Reverend Bendy Hart for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the Psalms. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time. Back to our triune pod, Nick and Ben here. Nick, how you doing today? Well, it's Monday. Um, services yesterday were great. I, I I woke up this morning running a little on empty. I'll be honest, but I'm excited to talk about Psalm eight, man. Oh Lord, our God, come on, that is your name. Gave you some energy. I, I was told that uh, last week's episode uh, by a few people that maybe it was because we recorded it at night, but someone was like, "Man, you guys seemed like you were loopy. You're like." fired up just felt like you could say whatever you wanted and we oh. want more of that so, oh wow yeah coming so, in hot yeah i like it. don't mind the thunderstorms behind me too it's a little stormy here in birmingham Ooh, so, magic city yeah. is uh yeah, uh, yeah. dark clouds. hopefully not the judgment of god on our uh <laughs> saying whatever we want <laughs> but, but nick it was a year ago not today necessarily but a year ago on our episode for trinity sunday that you announced to the world that you were moving from Austin, Texas to Raleigh, North Carolina to serve as the rector of your church. And we'd love to know what's your experience been like that. And let's get it like a little fiery. What's been a, like an obstacle? <laughs> um, <laughs> Who have been the main problems in your current? Just kidding. No, I would never say that. Yeah. I was talking to a prisoner yesterday after the service and he was like, yeah, I mean, they say the three most stressful things in the world are moving new job and new kid and you've done all three in a year it's like yeah that's true oh, i probably man. should show a little uh, compassion on myself sometimes because it is i mean that sounds terrible but it's true i have it's been a it's been a good year all those three things have been wonderful but it has been a lot of change um from where i was a year ago yeah um i would say the biggest do you obstacle... regret it <laughs> no no i don't regret it at all but, um yeah i mean it is uh, this is very much inside baseball for people who work at churches admittedly, but yeah, it's, it's hard to know what habits that I've acquired in ministry. I need to unlearn in the new position that I'm in and what habits I need to, our practices or ways of doing my job is what I'm trying to say. Um, like I need to take on, right. Cause I think, you know, me and you are wired, I think pretty similarly, like we both just like whatever it takes to get done needs like whatever it takes to get things done, we need to do it. And if I need mm -hmm. to be the one doing everything then I need to be the one doing everything, you know, and it makes, I think that's a great posture to have, especially when you're like in growth mode and you're just trying to do what you can do to, you know, get things going. But yeah, like in the position that I'm in now, it's a little bit different in that, like, I need to be better at like empowering other people and teaching and coaching other people and not always be the one doing everything, if that makes sense. And I work alongside really hardworking, excellent people. So that part of it shouldn't be hard, but yeah, there's just a way in which like the job that I'm in now is just a different kind of job than, mm. you know, the jobs I've had before and knowing how to do that well and what I should focus on and what I shouldn't focus on as much, you know, it's a, there's not, there's no book that you can read that will tell you how to do that you know, you're in a churches have different seasons and the season we're in now might take something of me that 
we don't need in three years. Right. You know, or, you know, so I, I think it's just that, that part of it has been difficult. Um, no, I make this joke all the, it's not a joke. I, I, I use this analogy all the time. It's like, if I carried my phone in my pocket and recorded myself, and then were to transcribe that recording, like the word count would be six times higher than it was a year ago. Like, I think I just talk so much more because I'm in meetings and I'm leading the meetings and I just uh, have a more active role in whatever conversation I'm a part of. And so I think that is, is tiring. You know, I remember my boss in Kansas city who I worked under and alongside for a number of years. And I remember him just relating that just like how just, he just seemed tired all the time. And I didn't really understand that. And now I get it. It's like, there's a parishioner, like me and Meg are getting meals, which is so sweet from people in our church. And, um, you know, people are bringing us meals and I, and I come home and I should be super excited to see some of our parishioners and visit with them because they're going to my house to drop off food for us. It's like one way love. And I hate to admit this, but my honest feeling is like, okay, I'm pretty tired though. I wonder how long I'm going to have to talk to these people. <laughs> it's so Not because of anything they're doing. I love all these people. And I think some of the totally. people are listening to this podcast. So it's, it's not a criticism there. It's a, it's an admission of weakness on my end. Just that like, you know, cause it's not, I'm a people person. I get energy from being around other people. So it's not like an introverted thing. It's more just like now when I'm in a meeting and I'm meeting with someone, I'm just in a different mode. And so I just get more worn out, man. I think that's the simplest mm-hmm. way to put it. You know, I feel like, and partly it's the kid and not sleeping as much, but I feel like I'm just tired more than I ever yeah. have been. I think that's where I'm a little bit different from you is I am an outgoing introvert. So I do get tired from lots of communication but for me it would be if if someone were to come to my house to drop things off and we would have a conversation i'd almost love for them to lead with an expletive so that i wouldn't have to be on do you know what i mean yeah a lot of times me being tired is just like me even though even when they're my friends it's like all right uh you know how much you know precision do i need Mm. my words how on do i need to be mm. uh, so maybe if you're listening and you're going to give the comiskeys some food maybe it doesn't have to be an expletive but but uh but throw them <laughs> off <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah that's good shake, shake you out of like pastor mode yeah yeah that's good man that's a good word totally all right so we're going to move on to psalm 8 now which has absolutely nothing to do with unrelated so we're tra- staying true to form oh lord our governor How exalted is your name in all the world. Out of the mouths of infants and children, your majesty is praised above the heavens. You have set up a stronghold against your adversaries to quell the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in their courses, what is man that you should be mindful of him, the son of man that you should seek him out? You have made him but little lower than the angels. You adorn him with glory and honor. You give him mastery over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the wild beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever walks in the paths of the sea. O Lord, our governor, how exalted is your name in all the world. Nick, my governor, what do you have to say about Psalm 8? Psalm 8 is a a hymn of praise. It's um, the first such hymn of praise in the Psalter. And I was reading earlier, I didn't, I don't think I would have ever thought this, but it's the only 
hymn of praise in the Bible, like at least as a chapter that is purely second person. The psalmist is speaking mm. directly to God and the psalmist speaks directly to God throughout the entirety of the psalm. Sometimes it will go like first person, third person, you know, like Psalm 23, but um, or it will say, you know, the Lord is, but this is straight. You Lord are my governor. How exalted is your name in all the world? Um, so yeah, I think the very simple way to think about this psalm, and there's some stuff, the details we could talk about in different ways of framing it, but it is a, a, a poem that is offering commentary on Genesis one and the creation story. Um, there is the, the intricacy and elegance of the heavens that God has set in the, in their courses, the moon and the stars. There's the uh, works of God's hands, sheep and oxen, wild beasts of the field, birds of the air, fish of the sea. Um, but at the center and in some ways the highest of God's creation is humankind. Uh, what is man that you should be mindful of him? the son of man that you should seek him out. Son of man is just a Hebrew term for human being, you know, what, what are human beings that you would remember them and visit them and that you would make them the kind of sovereign representatives of you, the creator God, in all of your creation, you have put all things under the feet of humankind. So it's a, it's it describing the this is going to sound a little formal, but it's describing that the office human beings inhabit by virtue of their creation in the image of God. You know, they have been given dominion, to use a loaded term, over um, creation. And this psalm is in some ways celebrating that, not that humankind has this pride of place, but that God, who is exalted and uh, over all the earth, has graced human beings with this unique vocation, this unique office to exercise God's sovereignty and care over creation. Obviously, as we'll talk about, the character of human beings who inhabit this office is often terrible. And things haven't always gone very well with human beings at the center, but that's frankly not what this psalm is about. It's just saying that in God's wisdom, this is how God has ordered it with human beings being um, masters over the works of God's hands. Yeah, when I look at verse four and five, when I consider your heavens, dot, 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 what is man that you should be mindful of him? And first, before this podcast, I thought to myself, man, like, what if the psalmist knew what we know about how the universe or what some people call the multiverse is, is so seemingly infinite? How much more would the psalmist say, what is man that you should be mindful of him? But I also, I kind of want to push back on that in my mind as I'm thinking about it, because, I mean, you're in Raleigh, I'm in Birmingham, you were in Austin, I was in New York City, and at least when I was in New York City, and even here in Birmingham, I see very few stars at night. It's just, you know, the light pollution blocks it out. Back in the day, day, there wasn't light pollution. They see all the stars. Uh, when I went to West Virginia and went camping, one time I saw stars like I'd never seen before. It's like, I didn't even realize that they were actually there like that. What I saw in the movies wasn't real until that experience. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think I know in like a conceptual sense, like, oh, the universe is seemingly infinite or so big, but I'm guessing to the ancients, it probably felt just as big when you're looking up at the sky and it's, it's barely dark, right? The, the, at least on a not cloudy day, the stars seem infinite as well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, 
kind of wanted to say at first, the psalmist would be amazed by what we know now. And I wonder if that would change the way he writes this, but, but probably not. Probably not. Yeah, that's interesting. That I, I, I didn't think that's where you're going to go there. That is an interesting thought. Yeah, that the, and on the one hand, we're so much more aware conceptually of the vastness of the cosmos, but in a way that is dissimilar, we're way less connected to it than people were in a previous era. And so even though, yeah, I guess, I guess it cuts both ways. Um, well, man, did, do you want to try and talk about verse two? And well, sure. in, in the, in the prayer book, it's verses two and three, but the prayer book kind of smooths over what is for commentators on this Psalm, a very, very, uh, sticky wicket as our friends across the the pond might say and that is the way that the song is over there for two years friends and look at him no i mean i'm yeah no (laughs) so um let me just read out of uh, the king james version because it 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 brings this contrast uh, to the surface out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger so where we read, you know, two seemingly disconnected thoughts, God's ordained praise out of the mouths of infants and children, and then you have set up a stronghold against your adversaries. I think the a, a more, not literal, but a more, uh, a, I don't know, what, what what's the right adjective? Better translation. A better, I mean, a more accurate, <laughs> okay. more accurate. Yeah. I, I wanted to say more um, faithful, but that's that's not the right word. A more accurate and literal, in some ways, translation would would kind of keep those two ideas together. God has ordained praise out of the mouths of babes and infants in order to, or because of his enemies. And somehow the testimony of dependency that we get in infants is a way of stilling or or silencing or, or quieting the enemy and the avenger. It's, it's a strange thought. I don't, and I think I've read lots of commentators to try and make sense of this and I, I don't, I, I think a lot of people just struggle with it. Frankly. Does that mean like, are we talking about like the power of praise and prayer there? Like the, because of the enemies of God, God essentially invites praise from his children or from maybe mm. even those who are, you know, lowly in the world. And, and I don't mean that in any kind of sense of like God needs praise or anything like that. But I was reading Ronald Williams one time and, he talks about prayer and how, I mean, obviously uh, prayer is good. And we're all about prayer here on a podcast that went through all the colics and now the Psalms. Uh, but yeah, when you, when you go too far and thinking about prayer, it's like, all right, God is all knowing God's all powerful. What the heck is the point of our prayer? And Rowan talked about how, like, you know, in some sense, the efficacy of prayer and he doesn't want to put too much on work on this and like make us nervous, but God is in fact working through our prayer. Uh, And when we pray, it's, it's this, if God is enabling us to call (laughs) him into action, um, I don't know. I don't think I'm explaining that well. And that might not be what the Psalms about, but yeah, well, it, it makes the song. some of it has to do with how you translate that word praise because other, other translations use the word strength out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. Um, and I think that Hebrew word could, you can render it a few different ways. Right. But the King James in a lot of translations think of it more as strength, not praise. 
Um, Ellen Cherry, great interpreter of the Psalms, she uh, she takes this line. Well, she she in order to get at the the meaning of this complicated verse, she reverses the clauses to say something like this: "For the sake of putting an end to enemy and avenger, you established strength in the cries of the defenseless and suckling infants." And what she seems to be saying there is that the cries of the weak and the helpless babies are so poignant and compelling that they pierce the heart of those who might similarly take advantage of them. Their very existence oh, okay. pro proclaims the majesty of God, and that is what inhibits those who would harm them. And the image here, and we've talked about this in an Advent collect, I'm sure, but the image that comes to my mind is the um, children of men scene, where mm -hmm. uh, a, a a gunfight in this like post-apocalyptic gray world, a gunfight between rival gangs is stilled when Clive Owen runs through with a baby. And I think what Ellen Cherry, she's interpreting that verse more like naturalistically. She's saying like, there's something so beautiful and strong as it were about the dependency of an infant that it like quiets even the most like a vengeful, violent enemy. Um, and that that is part of the fabric of God's creation. There's something so, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I'm thinking about this, what we talked about last week, this massacre in Uvalde, the way that like something that it makes events like that or Sandy Hook so objectively horrifying is that it is, you know, undoing that which God is saying in this Psalm, you know, that even like, as if to say, even the most angry spiteful person could be undone by the the dependency and vulnerability of an infant yeah. uh, and you know is that i mean again that might not be the right yeah, way to yeah, interpret yeah. that but no no it's interesting i do wonder i mean having read uh tom holland's dominion book and maybe he just puts too much stock in this but he really makes it sound like it's the judeo-christian worldview for lack of a better word that is so we're, we're all so engulfed in, even if we're not into Christianity, even if we're not into Judaism, that really has flipped upside down our values to such an extent that it's as if the cries of the innocent didn't pierce those in mainstream culture before Christian ideas took such a grip on our society. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to say Ellen Cherry is wrong, whatever. I, I would love to put those things together. I also really like the, that in terms of maybe interpreted supernaturally of what Rowan was saying just a second ago, that maybe on some level that, you know, and again, in the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God, God has infants, children, the lowly cry out. And, and in some economy that we don't understand, that affects a stilling of the enemies of God. Yeah, I think because I look at someone like Putin, right? The war in Ukraine right now. And um, oh, granted, maybe this is an exception to the rule, but 12 million displaced, tens of thousands dead many of these children, maybe he doesn't see the infants or children dying, but doesn't seem to have touched his heart. Um, yeah. But again, I don't want to problematize too much because I mean, yeah, yeah, I watch movies, right? And I, I was just thinking about in this reflection I'm writing 
about Goodwill Hunting when Robin Williams' character says, it's not your fault to Matt Damon's character. And, you know, the first time you watch that, he's, he says it five times and you, the viewer, have trouble not choking up. And that's kind of related to this, yeah, right? Of, it is, yeah. It yeah, cuts because, us to the core. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, yes, I think I think the if this psalm is a celebration of the created order and the ways in which human beings exercise a special role by virtue of being human beings in that creation, the notion that there's something unique about the vulnerability of infants that can even kind of bring to order even the most chaotic forces of the world around us. Like, does that happen all the time? Of course not. Like to mm -hmm. your point about the clam last week, like we don't live in a world as it was designed to be made, you know, yeah. but in the world, it's like Jesus, you know, let the little children come to me, unless you become like this child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There is something about children and the way that they cry, the way that they obviously have a new dad energy right now, but there's something about that that speaks to, you know, the essence of who we are by virtue of our creation in the image of God that it's, it's a, it's a profound thought. I mean, you could, yeah. you could do a lot of like political theology here. I mean, you could talk a lot about the way in which the are the way that we treat the vulnerable is a, a, a barometer to mm. you know, assess like how, how much do we reflect the agenda of the kingdom of God? Right. Mm. Um, but yeah. all right, well, oh, I like that. let's, um, let's talk about the, uh, the way that this Psalm gets utilized in the New Testament. Uh, it's kind of quoted directly in Hebrews 2, and it's referenced in Ephesians 1, maybe, and um, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, this language of all things being put under his feet. Because I think you could rightly read this psalm as a beautiful description of the office that human beings in inhabit, but also as a indictment of the way that human beings exercise sovereignty over the world um, because we don't care for creation as we ought. And, um, you know, if you, I've, I've, I've said this a number of times before, like, I think if I had more strength of conviction, I probably would be a vegetarian because if you just soberly think about like the way that animals are treated and like factory, you know, um, farms and it, it is just un, unconscionable. Right. I just don't, I just like meat. So I eat it, but it is terrible. I mean, I, I do think there is, I stay away from those documentaries for a reason. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why you're not allowed to see what happens in those like factory slaughterhouses. Cause you would just uh, yeah. go grossed out, you know? Um, so what we've done with creation, with the animals that we ostensibly rule over is, you know, is, is terrible. Uh, um, but what Hebrews does, and I don't mean this is a cop-out, but I just think this is a way of, of thinking about how, what human beings are supposed to look like. But the book of Hebrews does is, yeah, we don't see a world where a human being, where human beings are gentle and just stewards over all creation, where they truly represent the character of God with how they order and manage the cosmos. But we do see Jesus. And what the, the book of Hebrews does is interpret this psalm Christologically and say, this psalm is ultimately describing one son of man who does indeed um, exercise care and mastery over the works of God's hands as God would have him. And that person is Jesus. So uh, for Christian readers, this Psalm points us to, to the resurrection, to the ascension, and ultimately to Christ's return, where he will make the knowledge of the glory of, the, of God cover the earth like waters cover the sea. And, and, and this Psalm will not be as problematic. <laughs> All right, problematic meaning uh, mm -hmm. difficult to make sense of. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's why we should all be like me and 
eat fuel. What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. Plant-based diet, baby. Um, it's, is, is this, is that why the Psalm is included on Trinity Sunday? Um, yeah, that's because, a great question. I mean, I guess because I mean, we're talking about God here, God, the father, I get the son of man kind of language. Yeah. Flesh in the son of that. I'm not really, do you, do you get the spirit in there? Not, hey, not really. I, I mean, in a way that is analogous to our conversation about the Psalm appointed for Pentecost Sunday, like there's not an easy place to go in the Psalter for the Trinity, right? It's not like there's a John yeah. 16 in the Trinity. So this at least has the father um, creating and the son stewarding. Um, so I suppose uh, there yeah. is no one needs to know this, but the alternative option is Canticle 13, a song of praise. And in that it says Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that's uh, not a, a psalm. Yeah, so I guess maybe right. that would have been more appropriate. <laughs> well, let's pray to close. Oh Lord, our governor, how exalted is your name in all the world. Out of the mouths of infants and children, your majesty is praised above the heavens. You have set up a stronghold against your adversaries to quell the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in their courses, what is man that you should be mindful of him, the son of man that you should seek him out? You have made him but little lower than the angels. You adorn him with glory and honor. You give him mastery over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the wild beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever walks in the paths of the sea. O Lord, our governor, how exalted is your name in all the world. How about that episode of Our Trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast.